Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 41. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher, and I ask them, how'd they get in the classroom? What are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future? This episode, I sit down with Ann Brokaw. Ann is a biology teacher at Rocky River High School in Rocky River, Ohio. She currently teaches advanced placement biology, principles of biology one, college partnership, a dual credit course, and academic biology. Anne is a leader in many aspects of the biology teacher community, including as a member of the NABT BSCS AP Biology Leadership Academy, the Knowles Teacher Initiative, and as an HHMI Biointeractive Ambassador. She has presented numerous national, regional, and state conferences sponsored by professional organizations, including the National Science Teachers Association, the National Association of Biology Teachers, the American Association of Immunologists, and the Science Education Council of Ohio. Anne was the recipient of the 2013 Kim Foglia AP Biology Service Award from NEBT. She also received the 2007 Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Education, the 2006 Outstanding Biology Teacher Award for the State of Ohio, and the 2005 Teacher of the Year for Rocky River City Schools. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> nice to talk to you here in a cold winter uh, evening here in uh, February, early February. Yes, it is quite cold, and the snow is a coming. Yeah, are you guys for are both of us? I think. Yeah, we're scheduled. They're already sort of panicked for us tomorrow because we're getting it midday tomorrow. Are you already getting it tonight? Yeah, we're getting we're getting it starting late morning, um, late early morning. <laughs> so, and then through through to the afternoon. Yeah. So, so yeah, we'll you... send it your way. Yeah, you may be you may be getting the phone call. They're already sort of ours is late and followed by ice. So I think I may be going for a, a shortened day tomorrow. Um, oh yeah, but as opposed to a full full cancellation. So yeah, I was thinking the last time we sat down and talked, we were uh, in that bizarro uh, giant hall with the, <laughs> the train flowing over us in St. Louis with the the noise. Uh, uh, it was a uh, yeah that crazy hotel lobby was it was pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I remember taking, I took videos of it and sent it to my, uh, to my 14 year old son. Um, <laughs> I, I sent him a couple of those shows. Yeah. If anybody's in St. Louis, check out the, uh, Union Station Hotel. Was yeah. that, is that what it was called? Yeah. It was the Union Station Hotel. Yeah. And it was like every hour on the hour in the evenings, just a crazy light show on the, on the ceiling. Plus we were there for NABT, which is, you know, like a big family reunion. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny because the first time you saw me, we hadn't actually met each other, but I was standing with like all your boys. Uh, and so you're like going around the circle <laughs> with like all of these guys who were like, you go way, way back. And it was like me and John Darko standing there on the end. Um, <laughs> we're like, we know and who we, you are. And we hugged, didn't we? We didn't did. We, hug? we did. It was not that first night, but the next night when you did the same exact okay, thing, the second you, night. you okay. came around and you're like, well, last time I didn't hug you, but this time I will. So, uh, yeah, I felt that's that. Right. That's I right. That's right. definitely felt anointed by the, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it is definitely one of those, you said family, you know, family reunion type situations when you're, when you're in those settings. I feel like I keep 
wanting those conversations with people, which is why why we're having this podcast, is so I can keep these conversations all year long um, and and hear the you know hear the great words and reflections of of, of the family all year long. So thank awesome. you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for joining me. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into the first question. I like to ask everybody, which is, uh, how did you become a science teacher? What what led you into the classroom? Yeah, so you told me you were going to ask that question, and I was like, oh no, how do I give you the abridged version? <laughs> uh, I was never intending on teaching. Um, I was always going to be a doctor, and. Uh, I got into my undergrad and I was going to medical school. I was going to medical school. I was going to medical school. And my oldest brother was in medical school while I was doing my undergrad. And so I was talking to him a lot and kind of doing some soul searching. And do I really want to be a doctor? Do I really want to do this? And um, the spring of my junior year undergrad, um, I vividly remember I was in my dorm room. There were four friends sitting around and we were just talking about life and what are we going to do? And I said, I didn't know if I wanted to go to medical school. And one of my friends about jumped out of her chair and she pointed at me and she said, Anne, you have to teach. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to teach. <laughs> and and she said, no, I'm serious. You have to teach. And I was like, um, no, I really don't want to teach. So um, the next fall, I had to take an elective, just a final elective for my biology degree and blah, blah, blah. And one of the choices was Education 101. <laughs> and so I signed up for this elective. And... For that particular course, I had to do like, I don't know, it was something silly, like four or six hours in the classroom, just observing in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I went for the first time to a middle school life science, seventh grade life science class. And I was in that classroom for tops 15 minutes and knew that I had to be in the classroom. Wow. And I... And the rest is history. And now I'm in my 25th year in the classroom. <laughs> well, and it was a middle school room so, at that. Right. It, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't want to teach middle school, but I know I want to teach. <laughs> wow. So, so was it a, was it a culture shock for the family when you like made that decision that you weren't going to go to medical school, or uh, how did that how did that go over? Because that's sometimes a, a an interesting shift for people. Uh, it was a interesting and difficult shift for my parents, not for my brothers. And I think part of the difficulty with my parents, uh, my mom was also a biology major in undergrad back in the 50s. And she really wanted to go to medical school. And she was talked out of it oh. because at the time women didn't go to medical school. And I am the only daughter. And um, I just always said I was going to go to medical school. And I think everybody just everybody in the family was kind of hooked onto that and believed that that's what I was going to do. And um, so it was a little bit of an adjustment for my parents. But um, obviously, uh, it turned out okay. And <laughs> they're, uh, 
they're proud of me and the work that I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine you probably had those first few years, that question of, so have you decided to, to, to go back to medical school yet? Uh, yeah. No, the, the classic question for five years was, when are you going to sit for the MCAT? Yeah. When are you going to sit for the MCAT? <laughs> You're teaching now, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly. a that's a conversation I hear from a lot of people who who make that switch. It's almost like a, you know, I think it speaks. I think volumes to the to the status of teaching. Hopefully, it's changing. Um, you know, I have not had conversations with you know many young colleagues in their first ten years, but I, I know that the the same conversations that happened with me, you know, and I I started twenty two years ago, where you're teaching now, but um, right. And you know that'll be that'd be an interesting conversation to have with some some younger colleagues. Is is that language changing, or is the is the status of the profession, you know, changing in the eyes of, of people who aren't in it? Right. So well, hopefully that is uh, that's actually a really interesting conversation to have. Yeah, only something we'll have to we'll have to sort of push at one of those next uh, those next meetings in San Diego. Corner a couple of young corner corner a couple of youngins and find out um, if they still get that question. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I'm thinking about, and you know, it's I read that biography, and I, it was funny because I internet stalk everyone before we do these shows, and I and I go and mm-hmm. I find things. But I, I actually, for you, I, I pretty much actually knew what my second question was going to be even before I did all the internet stalking because I was thinking, when was the first time I saw your name? And the first time I saw your name was on this. Uh, this booklet I have that's all about using biointeractive resources to teach mathematics and statistics in biology. Um, and this is like a little pamphlet I carry around with me. Um, like it should be, it should have like, I don't know, like it's a little security blanket thing. I open it up every once in a while. It's in my bag all the time. Um, and, uh, I've become pretty good friends with Paul over the last, uh, you know, year and a half or so. And he's, he's this phenomenal resource. Um, and I've talked a little bit, I, I know Paul's passion for math and stats and that sort of thing, but I, I'm curious how you got involved, um, in that process of, of writing that and, and getting involved with, uh, that statistical guide. So I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum from Paul. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, as you know, I have worked with HHMI Biointeractive for uh, probably 10 years now, Mm -hmm. doing many different things, um, developing resources, presenting workshops, um, you know, as an ambassador. And so when the AP Bio curriculum uh, was redesigned and uh, kind of first came out on the scene in 2012, um, it became apparent quickly that one of the things that the AP biology community needed in terms of the teaching community was um, some help with statistics and the math and the changes that came with the redesign. So that need arose. And um, so I started talking to HHMI a little bit about, you know, maybe maybe some kind of guide for teachers could be developed. Mm-hmm. And so then they brought Paul into the conversation. And um, I like to tell this story because uh, <laughs> I have my undergrad and my graduate degree in fields of biology, and I have never taken a statistics class. <laughs> And Paul, on the other hand, you know, has this amazingly high level of understanding of 
statistics in biological research. And so, um, so Paul and I went into this project together, him with his very high level and my with my very low level of knowledge, kind of self-taught. Um, and in our first few conversations about developing this guide, I said, I told Paul, I said, Paul, we're not writing a guide for you. <laughs> we're writing a guide for me to bring my level of understanding up and people who are in my shoes who one have never taken a stats class or people who haven't had stats, you know, maybe they're 20 years removed from their stats class. And, um, and so in our opening conversations, we, I just said, the focus needs to be on, on people like me. And um, we need to make it really user-friendly. We need to um, only have biology research examples in it not diverging out to other disciplines of science mm -hmm. and um, and obviously focus on HHMI biointeractive resources. So that's kind of how it all started. And then Paul and I, you know, worked back and forth and uh, did several iterations of the, of the guide. And, you know, it's been updated some over the year, over the few years that it's been out. And, um, I have it also printed <laughs> and I don't carry it in my bag, but it is on my desk. And, um, my kids actually get the first 20 pages of it oh, Wow! and they, my AP bio kids yeah. and they, um, they just have it in their binder and that's, uh, their resource, their stats resource. And, um, so it's been, it was a cool project. It was cool to work with Paul. Um, and I, I'm really hopeful that it does help the people who are in my boat um, in terms of just not having a lot of stats background or um, just being really far removed from it. Yeah. It's uh, so when I, when I started, when I had that realization, that dawn of like my lack of stats background, um, I actually took an edX course called I heart stats uh, which is mm. a uh, stats course through edX for non-majors through um, Notre Dame. And it literally was. It was just like super basic, non-scientific stats course just to sort of get my mind around how do you, you know, like, what are the different ways that you use these things and the different, you know, types of statistical tests. I hadn't thought about stats in, you know, since I was an undergrad. Um, so I definitely remember going through that process. But uh, the thing for me has been, now that I've been doing all this computational thinking with my AP kids, it's it's showing me all these holes in my lack of application of computational thinking with my mm. intro bio kids. So yes, I, I'm curious. That, like, did it has it has it shaped? I mean, obviously, you're not going to use this stats resource with with an intro level course, but is it it made you think a little bit about the vertical teaming of the pre AP and what math and stats and skills like that kids need to have that first bio course they take. Uh, it absolutely, um, writing the guide and then using it for the first couple of years definitely, uh, impacted, um, the course that you said in my bio that I teach academic bio, mm -hmm. that is our sophomore regular biology. And, um, so I teach one section of that, Yeah. but yes, there has been vertical teaming. Um, I teach in a, in a small, we have like 850 kids, nine, 12 Mm -hmm. Um, 
eight science teachers in the department. So there's only three biology teachers and we all very much collaborate and share and, and talk through things. So the three of us, the honors bio, our academic bio, which is our sophomore regular bio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dual credit class that I teach my community college class and my AP, we definitely have done some vertical teaming in terms of just skill building um, in terms of computational work for the kids to do. And um and I do use parts of that guide with my first year bio. Hmm. Um, you know, the the guide spans a whole lot of things, um, but even just understanding, you know, mean, median, mode, yeah, <laughs> uh, just some some simple things like that. My um, I have had my academic bio kids try some standard deviation and try to like kind of understand um, the concepts of standard deviation yeah. and um, it's actually, it's been really great for us as biology instructors to um, just have the conversations and, and try to bring a little bit more math and computational thinking into our classrooms at all levels. Yeah, this is actually the first year I've ever used standard deviation with my honors bio, my, my first year bio course. Um, mm-hmm. we, uh, it was just that very sort of process of working out and I work in a very different building I have there's about 2,000 students in my school and there are I don't know at least eight of us who teach bio um, and there's you know four honors bio teachers and two AP teachers and um, you know lots of us uh, that do that and but that's the same conversations we've had in terms of how do you get ready these kids ready to think computationally regardless of what level they're having um, and we've mm-hmm. been we've been using some of the some of the biointeractive resources to introduce, as you said, that concept of standard deviation, the idea of spread right. of a data, the idea, and it makes so much sense when you teach, you know, variation. They're bell curves. It's the same. Absolutely, they go together Absolutely. so nicely. Um, but it's a, you know, it's interesting to me because I remember a, a AP Chem teacher before I started teaching AP Bio. So this is going back like a decade. Um, and she would tell me how she felt that AP was this conduit to open up, um, to open up science. Like if you teach AP in a school, it opens up opportunities of science and it really pushes the kids. And I never really understood it. Um, and it's only been really now, you know, the last five or six years of, of the challenge of teaching AP and how it pushes you to grow in different ways. And then once that happens, you then have new eyes on your other courses that you teach. So, yeah. Um, one other thing that I'll mention while we're talking about this guide, um, is in Ohio for our first year biology courses. Mm-hmm. Um, we have chi square goodness of fit in our first year bio. Oh, wow. So, um, and we have an end of year exam in biology and, um, so we have been doing chi square analysis for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but doing the guide and having those conversations and, and pushing our thinking as you were referring to, um, has kind of opened up some different avenues for, for all of us, one to grow and to give our kids, um, just some different, uh, different experiences and different ways of thinking about, um, data really that, are generated in the biology classroom. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this actually sort of to me feels like a nice dovetail because um, the next question I wanted to ask you about, um, and this is like completely selfish at this point. Um, so last summer I went away and I went to uh, one of the NABT BSCS AP uh, academies. I went down and spent mm-hmm. a, spent a week down in Florida um, with Chi and Robin and uh, Valerie and uh, all of those ladies oh, down some there. Some of my favorite people. Yes. Some of my favorite people. Yeah, some of my favorite too. It, it was, you know, yeah. it was really great. And Caitlin and, and Phyllis and and Leslie, I'm trying to, I'm making sure I don't forget anybody. I think I got all six. Uh, they So they, they did an amazing job. So the thing that j- jumps out at me about, about that time that I spent down there was that it was really a lot about not just so much about like TJP biology in this way, or here's how you do the labs or any of that stuff, but it was very much of how do you frame conversations and stories around these scientific topics um, in a way that is meaningful to students, and also how do you help them reflect about that? How do you get the concepts of metacognition? You know, how can they think about their thinking so that they know what sort of questions they can ask and 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 realize where their holes are or realize that they, they may have a gap and they need to get some extra help on something. Um, and so Mm -hmm. now that I have you and I know you've gone through this program, a leadership program, um, I'm curious what sort of structures do you have in place for your students, um, to help them, uh, reflect on what they know and what they don't know. So, um, full disclosure, Aaron gave me some of these questions ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Am I allowed to say that on your uh, on the podcast? Sure, um, sure. I can edit it out was, later if I want to get rid of it. I, I have all the power. The, yeah, you have the magic. Yeah. <laughs> um, this this was the question that um, I paused on the most, uh, which is awesome for me because I think it's so important for us as classroom teachers to really stop and reflect on our own classrooms. And um, just as you're asking me, what structures do I have in place for my students to reflect on what they know and what they don't know? um, I think it's really important for us as educators to kind of do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was thinking about this question over the last couple of days, um, I went in a lot of different directions because I feel like I can't just give you – a really concrete answer because um, I try to be responsive to what's happening in my classroom. And so I use a lot of different structures and a lot of different strategies. And if I, um, if I were to just give you some examples Mm -hmm. of things that I use in terms of strategies, um, I don't want anybody to think that these are strategies that I use like every day or even once a week, or these are just tools in the toolbox, yeah, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so some of the things that I do have my students, um, reflect on is at the beginning of the year, I, um, you know, AP biology, particularly AP biology and my community college dual credit, you know, there's so much, um, reading and processing through material. So um, we do, I have very, very structured conversations and um, 
kind of assignment type things at the beginning of the year to get the kids to really start thinking about what study strategies work for them. How do they learn the best? Do, are they, you know, um, if you're reading and taking notes on a section, is it better for you to develop an outline? Is it better for you to make flashcards? Is it better for you to draw um, a concept map? Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the year, in terms of um, them just getting to know themselves, I have some pretty concrete things that I do with my kids in terms of um, just trying some different strategies for studying and learning material. And then as the year progresses, I kind of open it up and I say, you know, I'm not going to give you this assignment now with these boundaries. We're going to take the boundaries away and you can, you can design your reflection, however you want it to be. Mm. Um, so, um, so they have, they've kind of reflected I have forced them to reflect <laughs> at the beginning of the year to kind of just to get to know themselves. Um, so that's kind of in this category of kind of learning and studying material and kind of mastering material. And then I just have like some structures that I use in my classroom. Um, I do a lot of collaborative um, kind of thinking out loud, whether it's just with one other person Mm -hmm. or small groups, or half of the class, or whole class. And um, it might be as simple as, you know, um, like five multiple choice questions, like a little quiz, like a five multiple choice question quiz where a pair of students takes the quiz together, but... Um, they actually have to, they, you know, obviously they select an answer, but for every answer that they don't select, they have to come up with a justification of why they didn't pick what they, what, you know, the other choices. I didn't mm. verbalize that very well. Sorry. No, I, no, I get it. Um, I like it. So they're, so let's say it's a multiple choice with four choices. So they're picking the answer. The answer is A. They have to justify why B. C and D mm -hmm. are incorrect. Yeah. And um, what's awesome is listening to them talking about why the choices aren't correct. And I like the whole time that the, all the groups are doing this, I'm walking around and I'm, I've got like the best teacher radar ears <laughs> on and I'm trying to listen to as many conversations as I can at once. And um, it's so informative to my instruction, just listening to their conversations, whether they're doing just a five-question quiz or they're doing a pogle or they're doing, uh, you know, designing a lab experiment. Um, it's so informative to listen to the kids. But, it, you know, it, I'm in constant motion. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> And I just go and my kids get used to it. Uh, you know, I kind of just talk around and I listen and I walk away. And then, you know, at the beginning of the year, they're like, she didn't say anything. She stopped here and she listened, but she didn't say anything. And now this time of year, they don't even notice that I'm standing there listening. Yeah. And um, so uh, my kids, I feel like I get my kids to think out loud a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think 
one, it's great for them. Uh, it's, you know, building communication skills and collaboration skills, but two, it's really informative to me. Um, some other like kind of more structured things. Um, my, I do have my kids write, uh, like I wonder statements and I notice statements and I can statements, uh, regarding a whole bunch of different scenarios. Um, uh, one thing that I learned at the, the AP leadership Academy was the three to one analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, I use that a lot. Um, the three to one analysis, they can, um, you know, they can watch a 10 minute video and write a three to one analysis, three to one analysis. They write three things that they learned, two things that they found particularly interesting or intriguing. And one question that they have about the material. Um, and, and I tell them to be very reflective in these. Sometimes they're emailing them to me. Sometimes they're just doing it on a half sheet of paper before they walk out of my classroom. And it's more like an exit slip type thing. Um, if I do that, it's usually after kind of an intense lesson where they're really like pushing their brains <laughs> and I just get them to stop for the last five minutes and say, all right, let's reflect on this class period and what we've been doing. I'd like you to write three things that you learned, two things that you found interesting, and one question you have. And I, I read those questions, and I, those questions help inform my instruction for the next day. And I think that's a really important piece for us as educators is that we have our kids doing this, but we also use the information and the data and the, and the feedback that we're getting from our kids to, to really inform what we're going to do next. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up. Cause I found one of my, one of my frustrations earlier this year with a lot of the things that you've just said. And I, I think some of them sort of speak to my sort of my personal patience is that um, I found that I needed to do a lot of like teaching of how to ask questions this year. Um, mm. as I've done a lot more of these reflecting and I just sort of listening to you, um, say that I was doing a lot of this with my, my first year bio students. Um, you know, these are freshmen and sophomores in high school and they, mm -hmm. they really struggled in identifying these things and, and making recognize, recognizing things. And then some of them were very like, they were almost like stymied by the concept of coming up with a question. Um, and with my older students, I think they do a better job of that. But um, mm -hmm. similar to what we talked about earlier with the math, um, I'm thinking about how, and I've started to put together some resources about how to train my younger students, how to identify what they've learned and, you know, recognize something that they find interesting and how to ask a question. Um, right. Because I, one of my issues I, I sometimes have is that I'll have students who take AP and, um, you know, 80% 80, 80 of them don't need me. They're like, they're our rock stars. They're the top kids we have. They, you know, like they could get, they could do fine on the AP with really any warm body in the room um, that rolls out Campbell. Like, you know, it's probably a little more than that, but that kind of feels like it sometimes. But that 20% who maybe they were, you know, not as engaged the first time they took bio or, you know, they, for whatever reason, they, they're not there and they don't have all those academic skills. Um, do you find that you have to sometimes like, training wheels a little bit early on and teaching your kids how to, to ask the questions and build those skills up um, early on in the year? Absolutely. And especially the younger kids. Um, 
I, so going back to something else that I mentioned about getting kids to write, I wonder statements and I notice statements. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny to me when you have, you know, let's say you give kids an image or a graph or, you know, some phenomenon, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, and just asking them to write like five, I wonder statements, like look at this picture or whatever it is and come up with five, I wonder statements. So it's really interesting to me because kids can do that. And then I'm like, so, you know, when you, when you say, I wonder statements, you're really asking questions. Yeah. And, and then they're like, Oh, right. I, I'm wondering about, you know, how, you know, this, I don't know, this bird flies. Um, And, so, yes, I absolutely feel like um, there are definitely scaffolded strategies, strategies that are needed to kind of build those skills in kids to ask good questions. Um, and in terms of getting kids to identify, um, you know, things that they've learned, um, almost doing like smaller chunks, you know, like if you um, – if you're, if you're doing some kind of activity or like if you're doing a pogo, mm-hmm. you know, and really doing a pogo in a true pogo strategy, there are those stopping points. And um, so I mentioned that I oftentimes do some analysis at the end of the period. Well, that doesn't work for a younger kid at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. It might be need to be a smaller chunk of time or a smaller chunk of the activity where you get everybody to stop and and just kind of reflect on what's one thing that you learned in the last like 10 minutes um so definitely 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 need some scaffolding and some training wheels mm-hmm. from the beginning of the year yeah you know inspiring me to go back and do some more stuff um <laughs> in the next couple of weeks with my uh with my reflection pieces. Cause I've been, I have been adding in some of these resources and, and some of these ideas about like question stems and, and reflection stems and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. because I literally, you know, I've, I've had these conversations with students, you know, we're getting around the mid year point of the year for me and I have students who, you know, they, they're like, I'm, I'm having a hard time. It's just so much information and, and they're, they want to cram it all in before the test and then they not retaining it, you know, one unit later. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that's because you're just cramming everything in. You're not actually right. learning right. it to learn it. You're learning it to take a test, not you know really thinking about and making the meaning and making those connections. So um, it's been a sort of an interesting, as I've opened up a lot of this reflection stuff that I've been trying to hit at, the the gaps in their ability to reflect was something I never anticipated this year, um, but is is something that's really bubbled up a lot for me as I've worked through the year. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's cool, Aaron, to just hear you saying, um, you know, you've been in the classroom for 22 years. Mm -hmm. And so it's cool to hear you saying how much you're reflecting on your teaching. You know, and I and I feel like um, I feel like good, effective teachers do that. You know, there's always this desire to get better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a, a quick little story about a three to one analysis this mm-hmm. year. I had my AP kids. I tried this for the first time. I had my, we were starting our, um, 
like cellular energetics unit. So cell, you know, respiration and photosynthesis and some enzyme work and fermentation, you know, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And I wa- had them watch this video at the beginning of the unit and we hadn't covered any material and I just had them, um, watch the video for homework. And then they, they had to email me a three, two, one analysis. And I specifically asked them to email it to me. So they all sent me this email. Well, I took all of their questions that they asked mm-hmm. and I put them in a document and I never, ever mentioned the three, two, one again. We do the whole unit, do the whole unit. It's the day before the unit exam. And I, had taken their questions and put them on to individual um, like PowerPoint slides Mm -hmm. and I wordsmithed them a tad just so they were a little bit more polished, but (laughs) basically it was their, their questions. And I put one question up on the slide and I was like, okay, can we answer this question? And they were in small groups working and they were having these conversations. And then I put the next question up and, and all the questions really got them to chew on all the unit, all the material in the unit. Wow. And so at the end of the questions, I said, um, Hey guys, did those questions look familiar to you? And they all started looking around and they're like, you know, looking at me like I'm crazy. And I was like, so, you know, at the beginning of the unit, when you watch that, video and you sent me three two ones and they were like no way and i said yep those were all of your questions and they were able to answer those questions and it was so cool that is cool to watch kind of like they they kind of started you know they had these awesome smiles on their faces and they were beaming a little bit because they all were able to answer those questions um, that they had asked before the unit had started so it was it was kind of cool and I had never done it before. Um, and you kind of have to hope that you get some decent questions from yeah. your kids. I don't know. That, I don't know that that's, I don't know that's unit one, but you get a little scaffolding gonna, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you get there. No, that is yeah. definitely a very cool, uh, that is a, a very cool way of doing it. And I think it speaks a lot to the sort of the nature that, as I said, the, the skills that the kids had built up through, you know, a few units about how to start asking questions that they could get to right. that point. So. Wow, that's great. All right, so yeah, I think, it was cool. I think you know it, you were talking about that reflective teacher piece, and um, you know it made me think of the the flashback to St. Louis standing around, and I was like, yeah, if I'm not reflective, I don't get to hang out with these people because um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the the group that you're sitting in there, you know, they're like they're gonna they're gonna call you out on things, they're gonna ask you questions, and if you're not on your toes, ready to reflect, you know, about what you do and. I don't know. Like that's the fun part. That's the reason that's so fun. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who would find sitting around at those tables, listening to us talk about, you know, this little nitty gritty about what we do. They would not be excited. But personally, that was the, that was an excellent opportunity to to hear the minds of other educators who do things differently, reflecting on what they do. Um, right. And it it brings me to to my next question, which is um, something I've heard about before. I've heard about. Knowles Teacher Fellows and the Knowles Fellowship and the Knowles Teacher Initiative. I've heard people say these words to me. I've actually, I think, had several people tell me they were Knowles Fellow. And I'll be honest, I don't know what that means. So what is the Knowles Teacher Initiative? What what are Knowles Fellows? All right. So I will be fully transparent from the beginning of this question and uh, just say that I am not a Knowles Fellow. Okay. 
Um, I am, you've worked with that. Um, I am affiliated with the Knowles Teacher Initiative. Mm-hmm. I am, uh, well, my official title is I am a team specialist, which really means I am a mentor teacher mm-hmm. uh, that works with the initiative, the organization. So with that all being said, I can tell you a little bit about the initiative um, and the Knowles Fellows Program. Um, so the Knowles Teacher Initiative is... Um, it's a nonprofit organization that really works to support early career high school math and science teachers. Um, their main goal uh, is to increase the quantity of high quality high school math and science teachers and really develop teacher leaders and a national network of teachers. Um, and they, um, they offer kind of sustained professional development support to their fellows and, um, they offer PD to teachers given by teachers. So there, there's a lot of different arms of the, teacher initiative, the Knowles teacher initiative. I'm part of the Knowles fellows program. And, um, what's cool about the Knowles fellows program is it recognizes that teaching is hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's one of the most awesome messages that, um, the fellows here is that teaching's hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I like that it is, I like that it's hard cause that's what causes us to reflect and get better. And, but I am diverging off on a tangent. So the <laughs> Knowles fellow program fellows program is a five year fellowship, uh, for high school math and science teachers who are in their first five years of teaching. So, um, the benefits of being named a Knowles Fellow is uh, there's a there's roughly 35 math and science teachers in a cohort each year. Mm-hmm. They get financial support for materials for their classroom, to attend professional development meetings, to um, they have their own cohort meetings. So they have a fall meeting, a spring meeting, and a summer meeting that they have to attend with just the fellows. Mm-hmm. They get mentoring by experienced teachers, so that's my role. Is I'm one of the I'm one of the veteran teachers, mm-hmm. and um, they develop this amazing network of teachers that they can reach out to, really twenty four seven. And it's it's just it is an amazing program. And I often tell the fellows, um, had I had that fellowship my first five years, I would have gotten so much better, so much faster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if anybody's listening to this and anybody knows anyone who's entering their first uh, or second year of teaching math or science at the high school level, um, I would encourage them to apply. It's an amazing, amazing fellowship. And the idea is, um, they're really trying to retain more math and science teachers in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, I think the last stat I heard was like 50% of math and science teachers leave the teaching profession in the first five years. 
Yeah. And so the idea of the Knowles Fellows Program is to offer this amazing professional development during the first five years of, of a person's career and help them to then stay in the classroom and make a career of it. That's a, it's, um, I worked for a, a very different um, program that had similar goals, uh, working for um, uh, an e-mentoring for student success or EMSS program, which was an online mentoring program. But it was much less, uh, it seemed much less ambitious, um, honestly, when you listen to the, the or you read the Knowles Fellow description and, and the degree of support. But you're absolutely right. I think the having that lifeline, um, while you're drowning in those first few years and you're just trying to get day to day, um, and having somebody telling you, no, it's not, you're not making this up. This is really hard. Um, helps yeah. people keep that sanity, um, early on. Absolutely. And uh, the way the, the way the fellowship is set up, it's a five-year fellowship, but the first two years, um, the, the focus, the first two years of the fellowship, the focus really is about kind of, um, content knowledge, and uh and survival (laughs) yeah you know because because your first two years of teaching that's really what it's about so it's very much focused on um yeah this is hard but it's going to get better and um you know challenging your content knowledge and challenging your um, classroom practice a little bit and then the third and fourth year are really diving deep into classroom practice and then the fifth year is um, challenging the fellows to kind of start thinking outside of their own classroom and thinking about the leadership roles that they can step into or eventually step into. So it's it's really focused on leadership. So the structure of the fellowship is just – it's really cool. And um, every meeting that I go to – so I'm affiliated with the with Team One, which is the first two years of the fellowship, mm-hmm. and I always joke with the fellows and tell them I'm really there to just give them hope that they can survive. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am in my 25th year of teaching, and I still love it, and I love it every day, and and I I feel like in some respects that's why I'm there. Yeah. To to be that like cheerleader for them, um, but I'll tell you every meeting I go to. Every conversation I have with a Knowles fellow, I learn and I reflect on my own classroom and I take ideas back from all of those meetings to implement into my classroom. And um, it's just, it's an amazing organization. It's an amazing group of people. So again, if, if anybody knows anybody in their first year of teaching math or science or entering their first year, yeah. Um, hop on the Knowles Teacher Initiative website and and click on the apply now button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely put it in the show notes, that little apply button. I'll uh, start push, pushing that out to some people I know. First or second year, definitely uh, have to find some speed. Yeah, you need to be um, – I think the, the way it's structured, you need to be either entering your first year – or in your first year, so you'll be entering your second year. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. So, this leads us to now the future. You've uh, you've you you're mm. you're 25 years in, but you're not done. Um, you've got absolutely <laughs> not. You got many years to go. 
I say that because I'm only a couple years behind you and I still have many years to go. And um, clearly we haven't figured this out yet because um, I can speak for myself. <laughs> I have not figured this whole thing out. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, I got like way too many things to work on. So, But what are you looking forward to in your classroom uh, in the next few years? Yeah, right when you just said that um, about clearly you haven't figured this out. Um, I have never in 25 years taught the same class twice. <laughs> and so I love that about teaching. I love that every year is different. I love that I get a chance to try new things or have a do over mm -hmm. <laughs> for some things that I try. And um, I'll tell you, Aaron, that the, the thing that that I really love the most about teaching is the relationship building that I build with my kids. Yeah. Um, I look forward to that new batch of kids every year. I look forward to pushing them and stretching them and challenging them and loving them and, you know, crying with them and laughing with them. <laughs> um, I, that's, what it is for me, it's all about the relationship building with the kids. And so that's what I always look forward to in my classroom. Um, I obviously I look forward to, you know, trying new things and biology is awesome because you can always, you know, build in new cutting edge research that's going on and stuff. But to me, it's really about the relationships. It's uh, it's, it's a very, it's very a uh, timeless answer that, you know, because there's there's yeah, always going to be a next group of kids. There is, and um, and I think I don't know. I love my 25th year as much as I loved my first year, as much as I love my fifth year. And um, it's funny because people are like, "Hey, it's your 25th year. You you know you're going to retire in 10 years or whatever." And like my brain just doesn't go there. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine not teaching. <laughs> and uh, somebody a few years ago said, if you, if you weren't a teacher, what would you do? And I just said, um, I would teach. Yeah. <laughs> like I couldn't even come up with something else. I love to be in my classroom and I love to be with my kids, whether it's my, sophomore regular bio which oftentimes is the inclusion section so it's special ed and regular ed mixed together or it's my ap seniors who just challenge the heck out of me in terms of my content knowledge and you know just i i love being in my classroom Erin. yeah well i would say as you were saying that i was like oh i, I love the 22nd year a lot better than i love the first um, and I love the 22nd year a lot better than I love the fifth. Um, I think I, every year it gets, it gets a little bit better. Um, yes. yeah. So for me, it's, it is, a, it's this gradual, yeah, I'm having, and I've said it many times over the last few years, I think I'm having more fun now teaching than I've ever had before. And I said the same thing last year, um, in that same way. Um, yeah. and it's because it's, there's so many of the things that you brought up, you know, the challenge, uh, the kids, the, the content that like, it's just this. I don't know. It's it's as the puzzle the puzzle is not getting any easier, but for some reason it's getting a lot more fun. Like 
Yeah. And, and maybe that's just the, the age where you, you don't take yourself as seriously. Um, I can speak for myself that, you know, first five years, I took myself way too seriously in terms of what I was doing in the classroom. And when, you, when I got over that, the, the, it's so much easier to just have fun, you know, trying to solve this puzzle as best you can, you know, this right. year. Right. And just try to get better. Yeah, yeah. Just try to get better every year. One of the things I tell the fellows when I'm with them, with the, the Knowles fellows, um, we because we oftentimes talk about teaching is hard. I I say I I, t- I tell them it gets easier, but it's never easy. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so yeah, if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I probably wouldn't want to go back to my first year <laughs> <of> teaching. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of you know, it, it's just always been about you know the relationships with the kids yeah all right that's great that's great so now i'm going to ask you the question that you were least prepared to answer uh all uh from all of the questions i sent you in advance uh when you're not teaching uh what do you do because <laughs> as far as i concerned you're, you're you're always teaching but so what do you when you're not teaching what does Anne do yeah so my gut reaction to that was uh, yeah i work a lot but yeah. uh, <laughs> So let's see. Um, when I do have some free time, mm-hmm. uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of some things that people may not know about me. Um, I love classical music. So I am a Cleveland Orchestra junkie. The oh. Cleveland Orchestra is one of the most renowned <laughs> orchestras in the country and in the world. So um, I, yeah. I'm a groupie with the Cleveland Orchestra. <laughs> uh, my partner and I, we love the theater. So we do a lot of um, both musical and dramatic theater. We don't do it. We go to it. <laughs> we watch it. <laughs> Trust me, you do not want me to do musical theater. Um, I So anywhere from, you know, community theater to professional theater to like weekends in New York City on Broadway. Um oh, wow. We, yeah, love, love, love to go to the theater. I like a really good nap. <laughs> that is one thing I do in my free time. <laughs> um, and the other thing that we love to do, my partner and I, is we love to host dinner parties. So we oftentimes have friends for dinner, and Laura's a phenomenal cook. cook. And um, so we make, like, kind of fancy dinners with fancy table and nice. tell everybody to wear their sweatpants and <laughs> sweatshirts. So it's casual attire, but dressy, dressy dinner and, and kind of fancy dinner. So nice. uh, time with friends is, yeah. is always a wonderful time. Yeah. When you say so go, that's a little bit about me. Yeah. So you're saying that I was like thinking about like, I like going, I mean, I maybe not do the classical music as much, but theater, man, I could, I could do theater. All the time. My yeah. wife my wife grew up um, in northern Jersey, so she grew up like 30, 45 minutes outside of New York City. So she grew up with her oh, mom yeah. taking her into the theater all the time. Um, and it's just sort of been become one thing, something that we've done, you know, since we've known each other for, um, let's see, we started dating in... 1993. So, um, yeah, for a while there. So, but I didn't, it's not a culture I grew up with. Um, I didn't grow out, grow up just outside of New York city, but I remember distinctly, um, in 94 going to see the revival of Tommy on Broadway. That was the first musical oh, I ever wow. saw. And it was like, 
it was amazing um, to go to do that. So yeah, we've got it. We've gone and done a few theater uh, things, and we've actually started bringing our boys um, to shows. Uh, and they, Boston gets a, as gets good touring shows too. So we've been able to bring them into that. So they're starting to get that culture brought into them as well. Uh, so that's that's great. Awesome. Some, someday I'll get to host uh, dinner parties. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the um, so if you. Get to New York in the next, you know, few months or so. Make mm-hmm. sure the the most recent show that we just saw that just blew blew our socks off uh, was "Come From Away." Okay. And it's on Broadway right now, and it is amazing. So if I could put a little plug out there for "Come From Away." All right. And if you're ever in Cleveland, you got to catch the Cleveland Orchestra. All right. It I is will... phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I was like a, an unofficial Ohioan during uh, during NABT this year. I hung out with all those uh, <laughs> with Kevin and uh, Chris. Oh yeah, and, and I was like, I was like <laughs> Kevin and Chris and John. Yeah, I hung out, I hung out with those three guys all the t- the whole time. So I feel like if yeah, I go to my Cleveland, Ohio boys. Yeah, was, they they spend. I spent more time with them. You know, as you would you would have thought I was from Ohio um, as much time as I spent with them. We'll come visit anytime. I certainly will. I hear you run workshops for them every once in a while, so you know. <laughs> I am only about an hour and fifteen minutes from Chris, and I'm about a hour and forty five to Kevin. Yep. Kevin and John. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right. So... We could have a we could have a dinner party, Aaron. Oh. We could have all the boys, the <laughs> biology boys, and Laura can cook for us. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. So I'm now gonna have to like look down. When is NSTA in Cleveland? When is uh, right. <laughs> NABT in Cleveland the next time? So I've been invited over. So <laughs> all right. So uh, before we get to our picks of the episode, do you have any questions for me? I uh, I grilled you for an hour here. What what questions do you have for me? So it was funny. I was gonna ask where you are because I actually didn't know. I was like, okay, what do I want to ask Aaron? And then I was like. Is he East Coast? Is he West Coast? But I know now that you're in Massachusetts. Yep. And I know that you've taught for 22 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just turn the table around on you and ask you, what are you looking forward to in the classroom in the coming year or years? Um, yeah. So I'm going to pick something. I, I kind of have two sort of separate issues that I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, and they're for different classes. Um, uh, one, I, I'm actually very excited about... Um, the the next gen science standards ish mm. that they've adopted in Massachusetts they didn't adopt true NGSS but they adopted very much like NGSS uh, standards yeah. <laughs> um, so that we have uh, the disciplinary core ideas and the science practices and I've spent a lot of time thinking about you know what those mean and I did a lot of professional development on that and. I took a course last year and wrote out a curriculum module and then started using another one and I'm. I'm using this with my alternative program students, and so these are students who struggle through traditional days. Uh, usually, the class is somewhere between like six and ten kids. Um, it's it, these are students who need to pass our state um, exam, and mm-hmm. I, I got to a point where in our old exam, which was a very content-heavy exam, I could I basically built a system where every single student in our program passed this content exam, and I just basically built a self-paced study system that kids could go through and in six weeks they could get themselves ready to pass that content exam and as we've adopted these new standards they're now going to be adopting a new test and it can't be a content test it's going to have to apply the practices 
the science practices that right. are in NGSS. Right. And I'm like really excited about the curriculum that I'm building um, that uses all of these skills and does not present content and builds off of wonder and builds off of phenomena and has the mm-hmm. students designing questions. And I felt like I had been in a bit of a rut with this group where I had found a, a program that was very successful, but was not a really good science course. <laughs> um, so I was yeah. successful, but not successful teaching science the way I want it to be taught. And so mm-hmm. as I've been going through this year, I've been piloting out what I think this new curriculum is going to be. And I, I'm really, I'm very excited about what that ultimately looks like when they're doing things. And so today I was, um, today I just finished my little intro with them, which is I built little uh, 50 milliliter um, Falcon tube uh, ecospheres, basically. I put brine shrimp uh-huh. and, um, uh, and, and marine algae in these little tubes and I gave them to the kids. And then I asked them to explain to me how matter and energy are moving around in those. And we spent like four days on that. Um, where, awesome. where we went through and they built models. And then today they got together in small groups and they combined their models. And so we now have like our baseline of how they think matter and energy move around in these little ecosystems. And now I've got a series of, of labs and activities and, and, you know, other things that we'll do over the next couple of months to see how their, how their thoughts change about how matter and energy moves around in an ecosystem. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about how, um, how that's been working. Um, and on a similar note, I'm really kind of excited about blowing up uh, my AP curriculum next year um, and doing mm. it totally different. Um, like, I'm just, I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but I oh, think... I was going to ask, do you know how it's going to blow up and n- nope. how you're going to redesign it, but... <laughs> nope, not yet, but I've I've gotten to that point where I now say with my colleague, because I do teach with another AP teacher, um, and we've been... Um, I refer to Brian as my work husband all the time because we have been teaching together for 17, uh, I guess 18 years now. And, um, we, we're just so like, we're so different. We look at the world so differently. We look at curriculum differently. We look at assessment differently and it could not be a better partnership because we've worked together so long that we've developed a good trusting relationship. But I now can say to him, and I actually said it to him today. So let, when we blow up our, our curriculum next year, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah," like he's totally on board. <laughs> I can now say the words, "We're gonna blow up our curriculum," and he doesn't like tense yeah. up and freak. So it's like, we, yeah, how we, awesome is that? Yeah. So we've got, and and we've kind of been in that same space for a couple of years. That our curriculum, it's very similar to what was going on with my alternative program. Our program is very successful, but just because it gets kids to get fours and fives on the AP doesn't mean yeah. it's the best curriculum that we can roll out. And mm-hmm. we're, we've gotten to that point where both of us have enough things that we're dissatisfied with and we have enough of the bones and trust of the good things that we do that we'll keep that we're going to be able to like shake the whole thing up and, and look at things very differently. So um, I'm, I'm excited about shaking some stuff up in the next couple of years in, in those. Yeah, courses. man, you are shaking things up in the next couple of years. So. So can I say something out there to, to anybody out there like me who I am the only AP bio teacher in my building. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm a little jealous of the story that you're telling about you and your colleague. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, I want you to know if you're out there and you're by yourself and you're the only AP bio teacher in your building, reach out to the AP biology community because, 
so many of us are willing to, you know, form relationships and, or even mentoring relationships and share ideas. One of the most amazing things that I ever did was I locked myself in a room. I was at a meeting. I locked myself in a hotel room with four other AV bio teachers. <laughs> and I just like, it was kind of planned. I said, can I have an hour to an hour and a half of your time? And I just peppered them with questions. Yeah. And I was like frantically writing notes and um, they were bouncing ideas off of each other, but they were kind of sharing kind of their ideas of best practices and things like that. And they were, they were all very, very different teachers and very, very different um, people. And they looked at things differently, like you and your colleague. Mm -hmm. um, but I was in the process of blowing up my AP. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I was really just like collecting data and information. And so if you are, if you're listening to this and you are the only AP bio teacher and right now you're feeling a little, feeling a little jealous of Aaron and his <laughs> school husband, um, work husband, um, reach out to the community because there are so many amazing, helpful people out there. Yeah. And just, I am a far, far better teacher today because of, friendships that I've made and, and relationships I have built over the years and just not being afraid to ask questions and take some risks and try some new things. Yeah. And I, I would, I would add on to that. Um, it, there's actually a downside to my relationship is that I've had this person who I, I get into an echo chamber with. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that in the last couple of years, as I've gone out and gone to more workshops and gone to more professional development, that's different. I've been able to bring a lot back to my school. Um, and I found that particularly in the last couple of years, I have found myself in a room with other people and been like a little confused and felt a little dumb. Um, and I could not recommend people doing that <laughs> highly enough. Like if you don't find yourself every once in a while in a room where you don't feel like a little confused or a little bit disoriented about this thing you do, it means you're too comfortable in my mind. Yeah. And that absolutely when you get into those opportunities and you sit down and you like, I don't know, like John Darko is the perfect example, like having a conversation with John, like I don't understand how, I mean, I, I've, I recorded a podcast with him and we talked and I hung out with him for days and I've listened to him and we, we email and I read his stuff and I see his module for the life of me. I still don't understand how he comes up with his modules. Like I, his, his simulations, right. like for the life of me, I mean, and I use them and I use them in my class and I there, but for the life of me, there's things that he does and how he's done things and how he's put together that I cannot wrap my mind around how he, Absolutely. his process. And I love the final product and I love it. And it, it disorients me a little bit. And it, that's really good because if you cannot appreciate being confused, uh, the empathy you need to have for your students, your students, if they're never confused, Absolutely. they're not learning. Um, so I think it's I, that's the other plug for for that community is that um, there are lots of very smart people out there and they're going to they're going to attack the problems in a different way. And they'll they're really going to they're going to get you back onto your A game. If you if you get complacent, um, they'll they'll push you. So that's that's my little plug. Yeah. And and it's not just the AP biology community. It's, you know, no. joining NABT Facebook or NSTA Facebook or, you know, it's just 
kind of putting yourself out there and, and as a member of whatever community that, you know, kind of fits your, fits your setting. But, um, I don't ever see you in those communities on Facebook. (laughs) I, um, I, I am in there. I just am not in there very often. Yeah. I'm terrible about social media. (laughs) I really, I'm not even on Twitter. I need to get on Twitter. I'm like, uh, I'm just, I'm old school. Yeah. I don't. And I, and actually Aaron, I'm like, I don't, I, it, I need 27, 28 hours in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand that part. (laughs) I totally get that. But now, now that you just said that, I'm going to, I'm going to try to have a, a more of a present, presence i can't think of the word uh in those communities yeah and just pick one pick one because uh everyone yeah. will, will learn from you all right so uh i we've got to the end uh we're at picks of the episode and you've kept yours a mystery from me so ann what, what's your pick of the episode all right well i'm gonna go with a new resource that i just used mm-hmm. um and it happens to be from biointeractive um <laughs> uh, but their newest click and learn uh, the central dogma of genetic medicine. Oh, I didn't see this one. I just used it in AP bio. Mm-hmm. And, um, so genetic medicine to me is just totally cool and fascinating. And, you know, this, it's really the cutting edge of, of medicine. And, um, so this new click and learn from biointeractive links, genetic medicine, and um, ways that re- current cutting-edge researchers are kind of intervening in the in the transcription, RNA processing, translation steps of the central dogma. Mm-hmm. And my kids, my kids loved it. Uh, it just it makes tons of curriculum connections for them, but also brings in this cutting-edge research that's happening right now related to um, a few different genetic diseases. And, um, just used it last week and can't, can't recommend it enough. This is like what I was teaching today. Um, (laughs) believe it or not. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was doing gene regulation today, um, and getting into like various levels of gene regulation. So yeah, cool. That's a cool research. I had not seen that one in my planning. I gotta figure out how I'm gonna squeeze yeah, that squeeze that in with a half a snow day coming up. Um. It's cool. I I happened to um, at NABT. Mm-hmm. That was the topic of my session that I gave uh, Kate Fisher out in uh, Oregon. Mm-hmm. She and I she and I did an HHMI session on this central dogma of genetic medicine. Oh, cool. And but I hadn't used it in my classroom yet. <laughs> so you know we do the session and it's really cool and I think it's gonna be cool the activity and the resource and everything. Um, but I hadn't used it in my classroom yet. And so I used it last time, last week for the first time and it, and it was really just, it was great. Um, if anybody's going to be at NSTA in Atlanta in March, uh, Kate and I are doing that session again. So, um, you can pop into my session room and hear more about it, but a uh, great, great new resource from BioInteractive. Neat. All right. You're the first person to make me, to make me jealous that I'm not going to NSTA this year, but uh, <laughs> I went to my, my, my conference in the fall and I didn't, I didn't put in for NSTA this year. So, um, but all right, cool. 
All right. Well, my uh, other... yeah, my pick, uh, yeah. my pick is a, yeah. is a podcast because uh, I'm a podcast junkie. So this is actually funny. This is a uh, so I was I was telling Anne and my voice. You may hear my voice. I I actually got flu. I'm one of the many people who got flu this year, and then. As the asthmatic that I am, I got uh, pneumonia. So I got to lie at home one day last week, and I don't do that very well. And so I binge listened to an entire season of This Podcast Will Kill You. And it's a podcast series put out by two infectious disease graduate students. They're graduate students who study disease ecology. And they basically go through and do a little biology and little history of epidemic diseases. So the and it was it was a fantastic Very series. Cool. Yeah, um, it's it's the two Aaron's, Aaron Welsh and Aaron Alman Updike, um, and there's these two graduate students. And for me, the podcasts are often about who's on them and who's talking. And it's the these uh, two graduate students who clearly know a lot about biology, but they also know a lot about the history. So uh, they did a whole thing on. Um, cholera and London and John Snow. They did um, a pandemic flu, just like amazing, great, uh, you know, bubonic plague, um, all of these mm. great outbreaks, yellow fever. And and so this the first season they did, they put it out there and they um, they did this whole series on various epidemics and they're getting ready to, they're starting to plan out their season two right now. But it's definitely, um, for me, I'm, a, I'm somebody who'll go back and listen to old podcasts that are out there, but um, I thought it was really nice context, and I've used several case studies in the past on these, and it was a great refresher on some of these topics that are great, you know, we, I said earlier, stories to open up the curriculum for our students. Right, uh, absolutely. And, and so I, uh, I think it's, it's a great resource for people to, to gain access to. So. Yeah, that's actually what I was just thinking about when you were just describing it and talking about it. I was like, oh, these are great stories for, you know, kind of entry into some of the topics in biology. Yeah. The one thing that doesn't love, love stories. Yeah. The one thing that doesn't make them uh, uh, appropriate maybe for high school is they start uh, every episode by making a drink um, that they call quarantinis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's for, maybe it's for personal background, but uh, okay, maybe <laughs> as opposed to giving it to your students. But it, I think that right. from the background standpoint, um, you know, things that I, I knew, but forgot um, or give extra context, you know, like stuff I knew, but, I, I didn't think about this other connection um, related to the outbreak or that sort of thing. Um, it's never never bad to tell a story, and I think they tell a nice little n- nice little story in each of their podcasts. So that was, that's my my pick for this episode. This podcast will kill you. Awesome. All right. Well, Anne, thank you so much for joining me um, for this episode. I, th- I hope it was it was fairly painless. <laughs> it was, and Aaron, thank you so much for inviting me to to be a part of it. Great. All right. Let me give you my show credits. Uh, you can support this episode uh, by becoming a Patreon, going to patreon.com slash lots. Uh, Patreons uh, are invited into a Slack community with supporters of myself, John Darko, and David Kanufke. Uh, sh- music on this episode and every episode is provided by Jank Jenkins and X Magicians. Show notes are provided in addition on t- Patreon. They're also provided on lifeoftheschool.org. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter uh, at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School, um, and Anne promises that she'll be on some social media some point, and so maybe we'll add a link there. All right, so thank you all for joining me, and I'll talk to everybody soon.